Welcome to the Sunshine Satellite Story Podcast, mythology mashups and odd apologues for young audiences. I am your host, Amanda Louise, moving you through the realms of malicious monsters, meritorious heroes, through the practice of real and imagined magic, shining a light into the darkness and conjuring something meaningful out of chaos. And again, welcome back to The Viking and the Princess. This is Chapter 8. The chameleon, Shame, has damaged the princess. Her body's full of holes where it tried to remove her heart. She is alive, but dying, and mostly zombified. The glowworms encased her in silk in an effort to slow down encroaching death, but they cannot stop it themselves. In order to save the princess this time, Akeda must take her place. Akeda has lived up to his namesake. He has volunteered to take the woman's place inside of the silk casing. Moiety will awake on the island alone for now. And our quote is by Elizabeth Elliot from Passion and Purity. By trying to grab fulfillment everywhere, we find it nowhere. Moiety was dreaming lucid dreams. She was walking on a dark red marble floor with long veins of gold. The whole slab was a single cut placed in its entirety. A gray lighted pool steamed in the center of the room. It was lit all around with beeswax candles. This was her childhood home, but she was not a princess in this house. She was there as a cleaning woman, and she was trying to do her job, but she also did not want anyone to recognize her. The queen walked through the room, and Moiety turned away. The ocean giant, Ipaluvik, knew she was there. He was looking for her, going from window to window and peering into the room. She kept moving. The water in the pool was slopping and heaving back and forth as if in an earthquake. Moiety felt no earthquake. She tried to stay hidden. Ipaluvik appeared in the window behind Moiety. The window pane was not glass. It was a laminar sheet of falling water. In her dream, Ipaluvik reached through the water to grab her with his huge yellow palm. Moiety gasped and sputtered awake into the reality of a wet, humid jungle. The first thing Moiety knew was that her chest hurt. For some reason, she was wearing Akeda's wet wool tunic. It was itchy and uncomfortable. She was holding a parchment with some barbaric runes. Moiety wanted to get off this creepy island. The last thing she remembered was speaking to a flashy lizard with a curious offer. Something about making her wise. What happened? Was she wise now? Where was that grouchy barbarian? Moiety knew that if she was able to make it to the coast, that she could walk around the perimeter of the island. She would eventually find the boat. Maybe Akeda was still there. Maybe he had left her. Moiety would have left him. Moiety started toward the light. She came up close to the edge. It was a dizzying distance to the bottom. The waves lapped over the crags, jutting out of the water at asperous angles. No one would survive that fall, she thought. 
Moiety made her way back to the boat and waited a full 52 minutes before deciding to set off in the boat by herself. It was a beautiful day. Recent rain had pulled the edge of the heat out of the air, and beautiful, full clouds were lining up in rows like children waiting for a drink at the water fountain. Moiety moved along at a quick clip and looking forward to a new adventure. Except for the deep, digging pain in her chest, life seemed absolutely grand. Moiety sailed on toward the sunset, feeling utterly self-satisfied. The sun left its glow in the western sky, and the stars appeared, gently at first in the east, and then swelling up the sky with blinking pinpricks of joy. They became the entire field of vision. A heat storm rose in the north. The billowing castles tossed plumes of lightning back and forth, highlighting their architecture in waves of lucid red and giving the impression of a momentous royal celebration. What was that pain? It seemed to be getting worse the further away from the island that she got. It was heavy. Moiety lifted her shirt to see if she could find clues on her flesh, and what she found dropped her to the floor of the boat. There were six round holes up the side of her chest tunneling neatly into its interior. Each one was easily deep and wide enough to poke two fingers into, but the thing that was most disconcerting, the thing that dropped moiety to her knees, was that each hole had suction. Sand and sea spray flew inside of her. Moiety pulled herself up to a seat, and a coiled piece of boat rigging flew up and sucked her aside. It paused for a brief moment before shrinking just enough to slip into the hole, and then it disappeared inside of her. Moiety jumped and tried in vain to grasp the end of the line before it went completely in. The boat's anchor, a heavy stone lashed into a wooden frame, wobbled its way toward the princess, drawn in by the negative pressure in her chest. Moiety pulled the wool tunic down and wrapped her arms tightly around her body. The anchor continued its advance. The wool tunic seemed to offer some filtering protection, but Moiety's chest continued to pull air in through it. The pain was not unbearable, but it was steadily increasing. She closed her eyes and tried to swallow down the swelling panic. Nope, that did not work. She screamed as hard as she could and screamed and screamed. The suction in her chest grew stronger. It tore the tunic. The anchor flew at her body, shrank down to size, and was swallowed up into her chest. The gods do not give us meaningless dreams. Ipaluvik had indeed followed Moiety to the island. He did not have a need for the princess, but he did have a strong sense of entitlement to what he supposed ought to belong to him. Ipaluvik was determined to avenge Ipaluvik. What the yellow giant lacked in brains, he made up for not only in size, but also in sense of smell. Ipaluvik could smell a baby penguin and an iceberg and a hurricane with a stuffy nose, and he usually had a stuffy nose. Ipaluvik loved a good penguin egg omelet. Mmm, penguins, he thought, with manatee marmalade and a little bit of furry baby seal on the side. Ipaluvik knew he was getting close. He could smell the princess. She smelled like female panic with a hint of lizard skin. He ducked below the waves. He wanted to sneak up on her and pick the boat up out of the water on top of his head. That would be funny, he thought. He thought he would keep his body below the water and scoot her in the boat along the surface. He chuckled at his clever game. 
The bottom of the boat bobbed below the water like a duck butt. Ipaluvik felt particularly clever as he stealthily advanced on Moiety's position. She did not seem to be steering in any particular direction. A cloud of bioluminescent comb jellies glinted like shooting stars, encompassed Ipaluvik as he stalked the creaking wooden boat. It was beautiful beyond comparison, and any child would have been entranced at the sight. Ipaluvik swatted at them in annoyance and cursed under his breath. The familiarity of beauty had reduced it to nothing more than a common nuisance in the giant's belly-focused mind. He rose up to bump the boat. Moiety felt the boat lurch, but in her terror to protect what was left of her heart, she scarcely noticed. Ipaluvik could hardly contain his glee at his clever prank on his new wife. He imagined her panic at the thought of a great white shark or a kraken smacking the boat. He could not wait to see her surprised face when he popped out of the water and yelled, Just kidding, it's only me. He did not think to consider that he, as a husband, was actually worse than both of those things put together. Moiety saw the nasty old ocean troll's face pop up out of the dark water. She saw his sneer of mockery expand into a shrill scream as he shrank to the size of a beach mouse, flew through the air, and then disappeared somewhere inside of her body. Moiety doubled over with pain, and then suddenly the suction ceased and the world went on with its merry business of being rather pleasant. The first thing that Moiety thought was that her hair was a wreck, and then in the next, surprisingly, it was that she was going to have to think of something practical to do to help herself. She did not know when, if ever, the suction would start up again. Moiety wanted to be back on land if it did. She did not have a strategic reason. She just preferred the familiarity of solid land. She wondered why everything loose on the boat succumbed to the negative pressure in her chest except that peculiar parchment package that the Viking had been carrying. She picked it up and turned it over in her hand. It was the only thing she had. Mermaids are evil creatures. But just because something is evil does not mean it will not present itself as attractive. The mermaids had also regrouped for a second attack. Having lost the princess at the first pass, they had communicated amongst themselves in their language of pops, clicks, and whistles. They could ascertain through vibration and smell that the princess was alone in the ocean and had decided to coax Moiety down into their kingdom. They were circling the boat at a distance and spiraling in closer. Moiety's chest felt heavy. With the weight of I, Paluvik, the giant inside of her chest, the boat was sitting very low in the water. The bigger waves were smacking over the side, adding to the internal load and lowering the craft even further into the water. The boat was going to sink. A webbed white hand with visible vasculature reached over the edge of the boat next to where Moiety was sitting. Moiety backed away, still grasping the parchment under her arm. Great, round, black eyes consumed a full half of the mermaid's white face. Her white face was framed by a tangle of dreaded hair that flopped like shrimping nets onto the bottom of the boat. Another mermaid reached up from the depths to snatch the stern with sinuous hands. The bow rose high out of the water and Moiety tumbled backwards. Your breath is a frost that consumes you and your throat is an open grave. The black eyes of the mermaid were expressionless as she hissed her proclamation. 
Only the water breathers will escape when the dry land is consumed by the dragon's flame. Come, learn our flattering songs, be a hunter of men, and take your place among us, and begin your collection. You are already one of us. Moiety felt cold in the marrow of her bones as the mermaid spoke the truth. She opened her mouth to deny it, but her voice froze in her throat. The mermaid held moiety in her rimy gaze for an eternal moment before she noticed the lambskin parchment still tucked up into moiety's arm. Fire, she wailed. Throw it out. Moiety instinctively snatched the parchment away from the mermaid's clutching fin fingers. More mermaids were circling the boat now. The darting shadows of their fins cut the blue waves like poachers' knives. The mermaid at the stern shrieked hellish curses known only in harpy tongue, and Moiety almost dropped the parchment as she reflexively protected her ears. Moiety would not much have noticed the parchment if she had continued to sail home unhindered. She would not have been curious enough to open it if someone had not been threatening to take it away from her. With iconoclastic flair, Moiety struck a tinder and lit the ancient magic scroll on fire. She had merely meant to scare the creatures back with the mechanical threat of burning their faces. A bright rainbow of light exploded out of the flaming parchment, illuminating everything within forty paces. The sun was still shining, and the water was still water. The boat was still the boat, but where the light shined on the mermaids, who had appeared to be so strong and strangely seductive, they were revealed to be only... Dry, brittle bones loosely held together by only a thread of remaining spirit. Their lame legs trailed behind like limp flotsam in the current. When Moiety shined the light onto her chest, she saw a void, an anchor, a rope, and the giant Ipaluvik inside. The expansion of visible light from the burning scroll was only the tip of the shark fin. The unseen energy released rumbled deep below the water's surface, disturbing the tension of the earth itself. And somewhere in the near distance, a great wall of water rose up as it was displaced by the shifting seafloor. It advanced steadily, innocuously slow, and dangerously powerful upon the small craft. The mermaids continued to swarm the boat. They were no less dangerous than they had been, but now with the light from the burning scroll, Moiti could see them for the dusty death that they were. She grew more confident and fought with a new bravery that she had never felt before. Moiti would not last long, however. The mermaids had more heart for the battle. They wanted her heart, and they had already envisioned it in their hands. They had sent their spirits ahead of them. Moiety only had a vague idea that winning would be better than losing. Not good enough. The wave advanced and overwhelmed the females mid-fight. Water exploded all around Moiety and her body tumbled and rolled with the current. Moiety held tight to the scroll which kept its flame. Moiety could feel that it was not just a wave. It was a coral. It was energy. It was music. It was not singing. It was song. And as it rolled along, it left this ancient incantation like sea foam in its wake. 
Set me as a seal upon thy heart, as a seal upon thy wing to wave, for love is as strong as death, and jealousy is cruel as the grave. The coals thereof are coals of fire, which hath most vehement flame. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can the floods drown it. If a man would give all the substance of his house for love, it would utterly be disdained. The mermaids, being held together by so friable a dusty spirit, dissipated into the living waters in the tumult of the rocuous strain, but moiety's spirit, composed of flesh and blood, continued to wrestle with the current. Over and over and under and above, exploding and slamming, the tunnel released its fury and then gently unfolded into a resonant rising tide off the coast of the mysterious island, right back where she had started from. Moiety reflexively held up the scroll to keep it out of the water and found that, in the light of the scroll, the water was something substantial that she could walk on. The water wall continued to advance on the island. It marched right over the beach where Moiety and the Viking had landed seemingly so long ago. It flowed over the jungle treetops and covered the highest peak. Only when everything was smoothed over with bright blue waves did the water cease its rising refrain. Thank you for listening to this Sunshine Satellite Story Podcast. This is an original story by Amanda Louise Van Stratum. All rights reserved. For more original stories and poetry, including links to purchase text copies of my books, please visit me at sunshinesatellite.com. If you've enjoyed this story, please let me know by leaving me a review and rating in the comments section. I hope to hear from you soon.